Hi, this is Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. Today we've got James continuing in our series, An Open Life. Great to be with you today as I continue in our series called An Open Life, which is part of our Live Like Jesus framework of discipleship that we've been running in the church over the last couple of years. Now, this series, An Open Life, is all about how do we live an expansive life that loves people well and welcomes them in. In the first talk that I did in the series, I talked about how we're called to see people as Jesus sees them, to see with the eyes of Jesus, and that that would require a mindset shift for for many of us in terms of we, we see people, don't we? And we're like, oh, they're just a bit annoying or this is going on. But actually, when we see with the eyes of Jesus, we see the gold in people. Alice and Matt continued last week by um, talking about the interruptible life. And this week, I wanna talk about the open life is an invitational life. And the key principle that I wanna talk about today is the practicing the art of hospitality. So today we're gonna to be in Luke 5, 27 to 32, the story of Levi, and the moment where he encounters, Jesus encounters Levi. So if you've got a Bible, just jump in, we'll come up on the screens. So here it is, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let me give you a tiny bit of context about this passage. Levi is sat behind his tax booth. I can't quite imagine what his tax booth looks like, but just imagine a tax booth. Not the most popular place to be, let's be honest. So the tax collectors were seen as working for Rome and generally known for lining their own pockets as well. So they'd take the money for Rome and then they'd be like, and add a little extra for myself. So they were generally despised and seen as traitors. Not great. So I was, I was thinking about what would be a modern equivalent of a tax collector now, because the truth is, we just don't get as much on our pay packet, do we? We're like, somebody's taken my money, but they're faceless. I don't know who they are. I was thinking it's probably the parking warden. Let me explain. They roam up and down our streets looking out for and inspecting naughtiness was the easiest way that I could describe this. And every now and then you'll see a parking, I was going to call them a parking collector, but um, a parking person. And somebody's parked on a double yellow line, haven't they? And they've literally just run back to their car and there's this massive altercation, this like confrontation and you sit there going, oh man. But I always feel for them as they walk past because there's part of me that's like, oh, you're just trying to find people out. But there's also a healthy fear as well. So is my permit up to date? But back to Levi. Levi is suddenly confronted by Jesus at his booth, his place of work. So he's sitting there and he probably thought, oh no, it's Jesus, I'm in trouble. And he's awaiting a confrontation. He's like, oh no, I'm about to get it. Because people, that's what generally happens to me. And instead, he receives completely the opposite of what I imagine he was expecting. Jesus goes big, Levi's sitting there and Jesus goes, come and follow me and leave your life behind. 
So Jesus is saying in this moment, Levi, Levi, I see you. I know you. Come and be with me. Come and follow me with me. Come and let me be your rabbi. Now, I want you to try and picture Levi's face as this happens. Levi's sitting there thinking, oh, I'm probably about to have a confrontation with Jesus. Levi, come and follow me. Shock, almost incredulity would be the next thing. And it's like, what you're asking me? You're asking me, what could I leave behind? Do I want to leave all this behind? But wow, I feel really honored that you've asked me. This is amazing. A rabbi, Jesus has asked me to come and follow him. And all of this would have been happening on his face. It'd be like, and I also sit there thinking, I wonder how long it took Levi to answer that question. Was it like a Jesus is like, come and follow me. It's like Levi saying, yes, I'm straight in. Or did this happen over like a kind of a minute where his face just had all these different expressions? Truth is, we don't know. It's conjecture, but I think it's interesting to think about it. So Levi jumps in and he says, I'm all in Jesus. And it says, the passage says, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, I'm a big fan of Levi and I particularly love his next step. So he thinks, do you know what? I'm going to throw a massive party. And I love the word that it uses, a massive banquet. Because when I think about a banquet, I'm like, yes, I want to be there. And what happens is Levi just invites his whole world. In this moment, he's like, all his tax collector friends, probably all, his, all of his acquaintances, anybody that he's known, he's like, come and meet Jesus. Come to this party that I'm having with Jesus. And it, it's interesting. He didn't say, oh, come up to the synagogue with me to meet Jesus. He's like, no, come to my house. Come to this party. Come and meet Jesus with me. Now, the Pharisees were shocked and offended by Jesus going to be at this party how could you go and hang out with these people? They questioned his disciples. And they're sitting there, the Pharisees, they're like, these people are a mess. Their lives are a mess. They don't follow the law. They've not got it all sorted. And this party was probably pretty messy. Parties are often messy, aren't they? When you get a whole load of people together. Right in the center of this party, you've got Jesus and Levi. Everybody's welcome. And then Jesus goes on to say, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus in this moment is just, again, what I love about the parables, he's showing, this is what I care about. I care about the people that don't yet know me. That's where I wanna be. That's where I'm gonna spend my time. And as we push into our live like Jesus framework, at the heart of it, we're trying to be more like Jesus. We have to know what he cares about. And this is what Jesus cares about. This is the place where Jesus was. Now, at the heart of the gospel, what we would call the good news, is this idea that the gospel is invitational. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus's message is good news for the messed up, the broken, the lost, the lonely, the confused, the sinner, the person who hasn't experienced God's love and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus was invitational all the time. All the time he's inviting people in. Follow me, he says to Levi. Come to me, you know, elsewhere in the scripture, come to me, walk with me, journey with me, be with me, live with me, become like me, come and rest, come and see, come and be, come and have life to the full. It's this invitation of Jesus all of the time. And at the heart of it, Jesus is inviting us to receive the good news. That's the invitation. Come and receive me. Now, Owen McManus, who um, leads a church called Mosaic in Hollywood, He talks about when he became a Christian in his 20s, you know, he had this amazing coming to know the Lord. He he then, and he uses this language, he went and hunted down the Christians he knew as a 
teenager to confront them and ask them why they didn't tell him about Jesus. He talks about his disbelief that he felt because people had held back the joy of knowing Jesus from him. And that's the people. So effectively, the people who he knew, his friends, had said no to Jesus on his behalf. And he's, so he went to them, you know, later in his life, it's like, I cannot believe that you never told me about this. Why did you do that? Levi models to us inviting his world. That's what we see in the picture of Levi. Levi's like, Jesus has so honoured him. Come and follow me. And Levi's like, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to invite everybody that I know in. Levi doesn't keep it to himself. Now, the truth is how people respond to the gospel, the good news, completely up to them. We don't know what happened in that party (laughs) with Jesus in the middle of that party. But the Bible talks about us being ambassadors of Christ, as if God was making his appeal through us. Really just this idea that we're the ambassadors. We're those people that stand in the gap. And I think there is a huge challenge in this passage about how open our lives are in honouring and talking about him. Now, one beautiful practice that I want to talk about today that I have found so, so helpful in living an invitational life is this, practising the art of hospitality. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. When I started this whole series, I started with this image of open, you know, the open life. And I said, the image that goes with that is kind of arms wide open. The picture that I gave was of the father waiting for the prodigal son to return. And that moment where the father embraces the son. I think that's a picture of the welcome that we are called to give people. With Levi, we see that. We see him inviting his world. He opens his home and his life to all of those he knows. And he says, I've changed. This is my new life. Come into it. But the truth is that over time, if we are not careful, I think that we begin to live narrow lives. Rather than having our arms wide open, what happens is we begin to tuck our arms in a bit. And actually, you think about that image, it's like, where are your arms? It's like, what happens is we can move towards living safe, secure, what I'd like to call Western lives, narrow lives. We bow to our culture rather than we bow to our saviour. We stop thinking about others. We start thinking more about number one, ourselves, because that's what the world tells us. That's what culture is like. It's all about you. Think about you. Think about you a little bit more. It's not really about what they say. It's not about community. It's not about living open lives. We can lose the urgency and power of the gospel message. We can begin to lose this idea that the gospel is invitational, that Jesus was always inviting into this. We can lose the adventure of faith. We can let our security overshadow our worship. Our worship of God becomes secondary to our diary of other things that are going on. And as disciples of Jesus, we're just called to more. We live to extend God's kingdom. So when we see these passages, let them be confrontational rather than just being like, oh, that was nice for Levi. What a great job. And we could read the parables like that or we can let them go, oh, wow, look at Jesus in this. How How are we to be more like him? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. At the heart of the gospel is invitation. But one of the main ways that we will do this is through the art of hospitality. Hospitality is about opening our hearts, 
homes and lives to people that God is asking us to walk alongside. Both people who are far from him, sometimes they're miles away from him, they're nowhere near him. And at other times, or at the same time even, it's not even at other times, there will be people within Christian um, fellowship and family that the Lord is asking us to bring in as well. So it's both of those things, people who need the encouragement of Christian community. But Jesus's practice of radical hospitality became a leadership requirement in the early church. So I want to read a few verses about hospitality to you. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, we read this. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Likewise, Titus 1.8 regarding an elder. An elder is really somebody just in leadership within the church. Rather, they must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, and disciplined. So hospitality is not just a requirement of eldership, but the practice of hospitality became a New Testament obligation to every Christian. In Romans 12, verse 13, the Apostle Paul is going through a list of instruction concerning the way we ought to do Christian community with one another. And he says this, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Likewise, we read in 1 Peter 4, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I think I'm making a good case here. But in Hebrews 13, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. sisters. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing So some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, the Greek word for hospitality, philoxenia, is a Greek compound compound word. Philo means love, and philoxenia means the love of xenos. Xenos means stranger, the love of a stranger. So hospitality literally means the love of a stranger. Now, I think within our context now, we would often have a slightly wider definition of hospitality, But it's here that Jesus's model formed the thinking of the early church. So for Jesus, the distinctive of hospitality was that not only you opened up your home and your life to friends, those who you already knew, those that you already had relationship with, but you open your home and your life up to the stranger, to people you don't yet know. It's a mark of godly character to love more than those of your own family or group, but also to have love for a stranger. By nature, we may want to stick to ourselves, to our own group. And it, and it may seem even dangerous, a little bit foolish to extend that love. But that's how God loved us. The Bible says that at one time we were strangers from God, Ephesians 2.12 and 2.19. It's like you were strangers, but God welcomed you in. He showed his love to us and invited us into his home, his kingdom, his reality. So the importance of hospitality ran deep in the Middle East. So when Travellers would have crossed great distances over dry, dusty ground. The hospitality of a stranger's home might mean the difference between life and death. Failing to help a needy stranger was a disgrace and the gift of simple hospitality was greatly appreciated. Now we love Psalm 23. It's one of the most well-known Psalms in the Bible and it's a beautiful description of God as our shepherd. But Psalm 23 also describes God as our host This verse five, he prepares a table for us even in the presence of our enemies. So as we come into God's house, he soothes our head with oil, a customary greeting practice among those ancient peoples, and he fills our cup with refreshing water, so much so that it overflows. And as it is with God, so it should be with his people. 
We should show the practice of hospitality with open homes, open hearts, giving the gift to both friends and strangers. It isn't done to impress them. Oh, it's like, aren't they wonderful hosts? But to bless them in the name of Jesus. And so when people come into our environments, really we're talking about blessing them. It's about a blessing. May I pray a blessing over you. So we've got that. That's the scriptural journey of hospitality. But there's also Jesus' example. Jesus was highly relational. His, His life was saturated with people and community. He spent a lot of time with people at parties. Some of his time was with his disciples, teaching and training them. And then at other times he was with Levi's friends who were at a wedding. And sometimes he just merged all of his communities together, all in one group. It's like people that were far from God with people that had come with his disciples, with people who kind of didn't really know where they're at. It wasn't people in and people out. There was a combination of all of those different things in the environments. And Jesus had a reputation, Luke 7 verse 34, son of man came eating and drinking. Even his disciples had a similar reputation. So so why did Jesus spend so much time at parties, eating and drinking? Because eating and drinking is an incredible way of building community. Eating together breaks down barriers. Hospitality breaks down the consumer mindset. It stands against individualism. When you share a meal with somebody, even somebody who's nothing like you, you don't know anything about them, but sharing food with people, it breaks, it breaks things. It breaks things down. It's why it's so incredibly important. I was, I think I was modeled this really well by my parents, actually. When I think, you know, I think about this kind of gift of hospitality, I think about my mum and dad, uh, who are also in our church, but they modeled this to me from a really, really early age in my life. I was always used to the being people in our house, you know, whether that would be the small group that met or the alpha course that they were running, their house or the retreat that people would come to on a Saturday, our house was always open for people. There was always somebody at our kitchen table. The kitchen table was the place. There was always room for another person or there was always somebody having a cup of tea. There was always somebody's life who'd been blown up that they were talking with. They were deeply, deeply pastoral people but they have always used the spaces and places that they've been given to love people. And so that has had a really profound mark on me in terms of the way that they did hospitality. When I, when I was a student and I, I went to Nottingham in my first year, there was a couple called Tom and Helen who were assistant pastors in, in the church and they led my small group. Same thing, they had this, they, their house was just always open. There were always people in their house. I remember going round numerous times, you know, whether it was, You know, I became part of their family in some senses, babysitting or cleaning out the shed or just talking or being part of their life. And so, you know, both of these things, um, but there were always people. People were welcomed. Um, Their homes weren't their castles. It's easy to think, though, that when I'm talking about hospitality, though, it's only when you've got your own house that you can do hospitality. And I want to be really clear I'm not really talking about somebody's home. Some of you have been gifted with beautiful spaces and places. Great, and you can use them in that way. I think when I'm talking about hospitality though, I'm talking about something about the heart. I'm talking about the heart of welcome because the truth is we can be hugely hospitable people, but not even own our own house. You know, we can be, we are in our culture, there's so many different spaces that we can go to. We can take somebody out for a meal. We can take somebody out for a coffee. We can welcome a person in. We can see somebody in need and be like, see somebody who's deeply upset. 
And it's like, oh, do you, do, you, do you just need to, do you want to talk about it? Should we go for a walk? It's, it's about our life. It's about the posture of our soul that I'm talking about. There is a difference between hospitality and entertaining. Karen Main in her book, Open Heart, Open Home, makes some excellent points about the difference between entertaining and hospitality. I think this is really important. She says, entertaining is a terrible bondage. It sources human pride that demands perfection and fosters the urge to impress. It is a rigorous taskmaster which enslaves. In contrast, biblical hospitality is a freedom which liberates. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my beautiful home, my clever decorating, my gourmet cooking. Hospitality says, this place is not mine. It is a gift from my master. I am his servant and I want to use it as he desires. Hospitality does not try to impress, but to serve. At the heart of hospitality is service. Entertaining always put things before people. Can you see those different things? Hospitality is rooted in our humanity. When we don't put up false pretenses, people can relax in our homes. When we welcome them in, we just say, just be yourself. Yeah, grab something from the fridge. <laughs> Make yourself a cup of tea. Come into the chaos. At the heart of hospitality is the desire to use all that God has given us for his glory. It's a desire to serve and not impress. So why don't we practice hospitality? Again, coming back, I'm not talking about your house right now. I'm talking about our hearts. Why do we object to it? Because I think the truth is, as we've come out of COVID and there has been some fears around, our lives have become narrower. Um, there have been some fears and a number of people have struggled to go again. I think the first reason is this. Some of us would say, why do I have to reach out to a stranger? My life is very full of relationships already. Why do I have to open my space and my heart to a new person? Well, a simple response might be this, that Jesus commands us to. In Luke 14, verses 12 to 14, it says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, gotta love the word luncheon, haven't you? Because it sounds so much more grand than lunch. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, literally, do not invite only your friends, brothers or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What is distinctive about Christian hospitality is that you offer it to people who cannot and often will not repay you. That person may, be, may have nothing. They might be socially awkward. The stranger that we're to welcome is the person without something. It may be that they're without relationship and what you're offering is simply love. Do you know what I mean? It's like, just come and be, just come and have a cup of tea. The first step in practicing hospitality and making room for someone in our spaces is making room for a new person in our hearts. I believe that we often simply have to pray, God, stretch my heart. For some reason, my heart has shrunken up. Lord, stretch my heart so that it can be touched again. As a society, people are more and more lonely. I think one of the greatest opportunities that we have in this next phase as the church is to deeply listen to people and to be loving. And that does not require much. All that requires is, you know, just that moment of, hey, come, I want to hear what's going on. The second reason why do we object to practicing hospitality is because we feel like we don't have enough. 
We don't have enough time, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough space, we're pulled in a million different directions. One thing that I've noticed, and I've heard this many times, is when we have a bigger space, then we will start doing hospitality. It's like, that's such a false economy. It's a bit like saying, when I've got more money, I'm gonna be generous. When I've got a bigger space, when I've got this, then it's gonna happen. It doesn't, we start with what we've got. We have what we've been given and we use that and then as we use that, the, the Lord grows it. But for some people, they're like, when I reach this point, it's like, I just don't think that's true. I think we need to start now. What, what has the Lord given us? What resources have we got available? How can he use them for his kingdom? Within this, sometimes people are like, yes, but I... James, if you knew my situation, you knew my limits. It is, a, it is okay to say that we've got limits as well. Edith Schaefer once said, it's not a sin to confess that we have limits, but even though you cannot do everything, you can do something. You can start somewhere and opening up your home to another. And do you know that the God in the Bible promises to supply us? Whenever we share whatever little we have, a little bit of space, a little bit of time, a little bit of food, a little bit of money, when we share the little bit we have with another, God promises to multiply it. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And in verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. My house is a mess, you say. I live in a small apartment or house. I don't have great furniture. I'm just a student and I have no money. Just do something simple. Do something, start somewhere. I believe that a major issue in our limiting hospitality to others is simply our pride. So how do we practice it? I think that hospitality is a mindset, a mindset to bless and to serve others. It's using whatever God has given us to serve those around us. So maybe start by thinking about what has God blessed you with? For some, God's giving you an amazing house. For others, it's the ability to cook. Do you know what I mean? You don't even need your own house to cook for somebody. You can invite yourself. We've had a number of people over the last couple of months who've been like, can I come around to your house and can I cook for you? We're like, hallelujah, that is the greatest idea ever. For others, you've got the ability to bring different groups of people together. It could be at the beach. It could be at the park. It could be anywhere. Let that happen. You make people feel relaxed. Use that gift. I think that there is the biblical gift of hospitality, sorry. In other words, some people are just exceptional at it. It's like they are Jedis at this, but I think that it is something that we can all practice. The simple act of welcoming people will open doors into people's lives. So in finishing, an open life is an invitational life. The gospel is invitational. Jesus is invitational and the scriptures encourage us to keep our hearts soft and our arms open wide. So just as a question, as you think about that picture of open wide arms, which was the image of this whole series, where are you at? Are your arms completely open wide? Are you like this? Are you like this? Where is that up? And then begin to ask the Lord, would you begin to soften my heart again? It could be that you need God. You might be going before God and say, God, I need to be filled with your power of the gospel again. I've stopped, I've, I've not got it because I've forgotten how strong and powerful the gospel of invitation is. Lord, I need to see with your eyes. 
So let's be people who open up our hearts, open up our homes, open up our lives. If you're able to, why don't you stand? And I'll just pray in finishing. Jesus, we thank you that you are and were the master of invitation. We see it throughout the parables. And Lord, we just wanna say that we wanna partner with you. Give us eyes to see where you're moving and the people that you want us to go to. In Jesus' name, amen.